Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. One of my favorite things about Digital Voices is getting to learn more about different technologies and what people are doing to disrupt healthcare as we know it and leverage digital to help save lives and increase efficiency and quality of care and all those things. And also from time to time, we get to have discussions with CEOs and female CEOs, and we get to do all that in one today. So I'm I'm really super excited to welcome the CEO of Chiefy, which is Maya Berlerner. So Maya, did I get your name right? Yes, yes, you got my name exactly right. All right. All right. Well, welcome to Digital Voices. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is going to be really fun. Very excited about it as well. Yeah, it's going to be fun because what you're doing is really exactly what I just said. You know, you're you're disrupting an area that's been very traditional for a long time and bringing in some technologies and making a safer environment. Uh, so we'll get into that in a second. But first, uh, producer Megan, you know, uh, Maya's not the first and certainly not the last female CEO that we've had on Digital Voices. What what are one or two things that you've learned uh, from from the past uh, CEOs that we've had? We've had so many amazing women leaders on the show. Um, you know, and everyone is doing something amazing in the industry and, and really moving the needle um, for healthcare IT and even outside of healthcare. So I don't know. I think most of all, the number one takeaway that I would say is just that we really belong at the table. Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's yeah. a good one. <laughs> and <laughs> more so than men many often oftentimes. Uh, so it's great when it's just a mix of, of people, which, which I love. But Chiefy is built for surgical teams, and it makes perioperative quality, safety, and communication best practices simple. And Maya, tell us a little bit about you know the company. And I know that you're a co-founder, and the other one is a surgeon, and I guess a couple of tech geeks, that sort of thing. Tell us a little bit about uh, Chiefy, and then we're going to get into our sort of standard way that we run digital voices. Sure. So the way we look at Chiefy is like if Asana and Slack had a baby and it was built for clinicians. That's how we sometimes describe it. That's a short description. Yeah. Uh, what we do is help surgeons and nurses and anesthesia teams and all the stakeholders in the surgical workflow collaborate in a seamless way and improve the results of surgery. No, that that's awesome because you know we've talked before and we're going to get into that here in a second. But I served in surgical environments that that you all are disrupting, and twenty, you know, the first time was, geez, maybe twenty five years ago, and then the second time was like just a couple of years ago. And these one was a community hospital, and one was a world class facility. And I'm telling you, not much had changed in those twenty five years. <laughs> in terms of the way things, you know, operated there. So really interested in talking about this, but we first met, what do you think it was? Was it two years ago or just a year ago that we first had a conversation? I believe it was two years ago. Yeah. Because I was introduced to you by, by someone from my, my previous life uh, in, in cloud automation. So we were actually maybe even talking a little bit about cloud. Yeah. Then. Yeah. I remember our conversation. I was really fascinated by by you as a person, uh, by you as a leader in the company that you've uh, created. And uh, so, you know, once we started Digital Voices, I always had in mind, we got with the fine Maya, bring her onto the program. Uh, but what everyone wants to know is what's on your playlist? So like, what kind of music do you like to listen to? <laughs> 
that, that's a great question. Um, it's uh, it's very eclectic. You you'll find, I guess, some some rock, some alternative, and pop, and the occasional classical music and house, and probably a mix of English and Hebrew, and some stuff that my kids made me put on the playlist during road trips, and I'm like, oh, that's not bad, <laughs> <laughs> and some French rap from kickboxing classes. So it's a uh, um, I I mostly like. Uh, to have a soundtrack to commuting, which in New York City is, is mainly walking, but right. uh, but still. Yeah, yeah, it is a eclectic mix, and I and I can't remember them off top of my head, but on my in my iTunes library, I've got several Israeli bands and soundtracks. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I like That's that kind of music uh, as well. Yeah, and in in Hebrew, even though I my dad speaks it, but I don't. Um, but I, I like the sound for sure. And there's, there's some songs from my childhood. Um, again, I, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but you know, I still uh, look for them today and, and it's just really good, some good music and fun times. Uh, what about a life message or mantra? Is there something, a guiding principle that sort of keeps you grounded? A guiding principle. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess the, maybe the, the, the one that keeps repeating is uh, trying not, not to regret things. You know, if, if everything ends tomorrow, mm. want to be happy with uh, everything that I did that was under my control. Yeah. And yeah, it sometimes gets you into trouble. Like, let's move to another continent or let's start a startup. Uh, but it's, it's a good, exciting uh, kind of trouble, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that. I, that's that's one of mine as well is live a life without regret Yeah, because you never know when it's life is taken. Right. And so you want to live in such a way that, you know, you're not sitting there at the end of the day, wishing you had done things differently. So I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Share a little bit about your story. Obviously you have an accent. Um, you've already referenced different types of music. Tell us a little bit about your story, personal and professional, and, and then, you know, leading up to, you know, become CEO and starting Chiefy. Yeah. Um, it's always, I, as my accent, you know, it's, it's easily, it's easy to, to see that I, uh, started my life somewhere else, not in New York. Um, I grew up in Israel. Uh, to um, and my mother is an English teacher, actually. Two brothers, uh, and um, I, I was uh, my education in biomedical engineering. And most of my career, I spent in cloud automation, in different roles. Uh, started uh, in in a company that is uh, today headquartered in Texas, and did a lot of different roles there. And uh, I think one of the things that led me to what I do today is witnessing the, the unbelievable revolution in software development tools and in cloud automation tools during these 15 years that I did a lot of uh, sales and product management roles um, in, in this company. And I'm married to a surgeon. So that's my connection to the surgical world. And uh, this surgeon had a problem, so I had to help him solve it. Yeah, that I love that because you know we often talk about in digital voices, you know, bringing in ideas from other industries that maybe are a little bit more advanced and bringing them and to help disrupt, you know, what we do today. So yeah, I think this is going to be a nice blend of that. You know, married to surgeon, he was probably telling you all the challenges that he's facing in the OR suite, and uh, and you're like, I have a solution for that, or we can, you know, we can build a solution uh, to help. But you know, on the personal side, you mentioned you also have. Uh, a couple of kids. So uh, the reason I, I just bring that up is, uh, you know, cause some of our listeners are listening from the angle of s leadership and, you know, here you are you're super successful and CEO 
and at the same time you manage a family. So that's that's really important, you know, for people to understand. You can do uh, you can do it all. Well, you know, good enough. You can. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I have two teenage kids, so you know, don't ask them right now. Maybe you know, in a few years. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I, I saw that arc with my, our own kids. We have five kids, and there's definitely this time where you know they they see you as knowing everything, and then as teenagers, you know nothing. But in their twenties, you know, after they experience life a little bit, they're like, "Wow, my parents were pretty smart." <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I hope they say so. You know, they think we're this decent. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's fun. The parenting is such great. So yeah. Tell us the story of Chiefy. I mean, we already t- t- touched on it, but you know, how did it, you know, you you mentioned your husband uh, is a surgeon and you know, you had all this cloud transformation, biomedical, you know, background. Uh, so how did it come to be? Yeah. So it all started when, uh, you know, with a surgeon that had a problem. Chiefy is really a very organic company started with um, a surgeon that says, wait, uh, surgery is, is teamwork. It's a team sport. But the way that the team works today is very unstructured. You have the surgeons, you have the nurses, you have anesthesiologists, you have a lot of stakeholders in this workflow. And the way that they get on the same page and the way that they orchestrate how they work is you know, emails and questions and, and text messages and phone calls and a lot of informal things that, that are happening. And of course, everyone is, is doing an amazing job, but still 80% of the errors are a result of miscommunication. And he had 20 years of experience as a pilot. And you know, everything, for, for him, he really looked at it from the lens of aviation teamwork, and we need to brief and debrief. On it. And these are concepts that are very well known also in the medical world. Uh, but then uh, when we were having all these conversations at home, because this surgeon leaves in my house. So we have a lot of conversations about what frustrates him. And I listen to him and I say, wait, you know, you're describing cross-functional teams that are doing iterative tasks and they're trying to get better at it, make it a little bit less of an art and a little bit more of a, you know, high efficiency machine in a way. Uh, it yeah. sounds like it could benefit from agile concepts. So how come, you know, these professionals don't have something like Asana or uh, like, you know, why don't they use Slack? So we started going into these these questions of why don't they have decent workflow tools that can make them more efficient, more, more f- efficient and higher quality. And this really started a conversation that led to developing a prototype that was very successful in academic studies and starting a company. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And sh- can you share sort of that use case, that initial use case on, on how the company got going in the academic uh, environment. Yeah, it's, it started from uh, something that is uh, pre- pretty small, right? We didn't start with ideation of what's the biggest problem in healthcare and how do we solve it? It was uh, just doing right. digital huddles. So in, you know, everyone in, in medicine knows that if you, uh, if the team talks before any activity, then things will get better. There are tons of studies about that, right? But the question is, how do you get to do it? So what we started from was hospitals that know that they want to do a huddle, but it's very difficult to do because, you know, you ask the entire surgical team to come to the operating room at 6.45 a.m. where they already have a very, very busy day and it's a nightmare for them. So they, it's very hard for them to do. And then what we say is, okay, well, let's, let's look at a digital alternative to it. And you get a lot of this, you know, it's not just that it becomes asynchronous. It, can, it starts remembering things. It can help you. You know, it can orchestrate the process. It can get the right people, the right time, uh, the right information at the right time. Right. Um, so that really becomes um, 
interesting, and this is the use case that we really started from, is showing that we can make those, um, you know, those huddle, pre-op huddle rates really high consistently. Yeah, and and that, like you said, that's so important for a successful outcome. So that, that's really good. Why, you know, you mentioned sort of the adoption curve or alluded to the adoption curve, you know, in healthcare is a little bit slow, you know, when you bring up these new concepts. And I talked about how the OR was exactly the same, you know, when I was at a community hospital 25 years ago to uh, sort of a leading organization. Wait, you, any thoughts on why things are so slow to adopt? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. And I think this is, you know, these are things that we were talking about two years ago. And I, I remember you talking about the multidisciplinary approach and agile principles. And I think it's moving, you know, since, since we talked back then, I think a lot has changed. Uh, but, but this is no doubt our, our biggest enemy is the lack of incentive to make things better, right? Or, or thinking that things are, are good enough as they are. Yeah. And I, I think the, the big inflection point is really understanding that you can't go on like that. And it's mainly in how the clinicians work. The, you know, when we see nurses leaving their jobs and, and, you know, it's, they're doing a very, very hard, you know, they're working super, super hard yeah. under very difficult conditions. And it, we, I think we're now at a time when we have to make their lives better. We just have to, it's no longer a question of, is it, you know, wouldn't it be nice to make the clinicians' lives better. Yeah, the it's multi, you know, factorial. The uh, sort of the different challenges going on, and especially in an OR environment, because now it's you know a lot of life and death, you know, in high stress, high stakes environment. So, uh, but I, I was even sort of shocked, you know, that my my last time when I served in the OR about one one shift a week, and you know the amount of communication that does or doesn't take place and how it takes place. Um, and checklists are good, right? There, we had the whole checklist manifesto and things like that. And I think that helped move the needle forward, but you're still largely reliant on paper and sort of remembering. And, um, so, so what you all do is, is really, you know, take it to the next level digitally. Is there another example that you can give on either something that you're working on today or sort of uh, upstream a little bit in terms of, you know, further automating that those processes within the OR? Yeah, sure. You know, the, the good and the bad news is that there's a lot to work on, <laughs> on, on the perioperative workflow. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty massive opportunity in that aspect, but there's, there's a lot to change. A lot of things on this workflow are manual, are very inefficient. And at the end of the day, it's the clinicians that suffer. I, I sometimes, uh, you know, I heard one surgeon um, say it and it just stuck in my head that, yeah, that the patient's at the center, but all the clinicians are at the computer station putting things in the yeah. EMR, right? So this idea of how do we how do we get the clinicians at the center with the patient? Yeah, is is something that I think is you know really guides us as we try to move forward with the company and thinking about what the next use cases can be and what else can be done. And a lot of it happens in by pool. You know, once you start giving good tools that are helpful, you immediately get the questions. You know, okay, can I also book with it? Can I can we do also the handoff right. uh, a post op? Uh, so it really happens naturally. And it, it reminds me a lot, I have to admit, of, of developer tools, even though it's sometimes a bit of a wacky 
you know, analogy, but it, for me, it's, it's very, very similar. Yeah. No. And, and you, you start in the periopters suite, but certainly I, I, I think your trajectory is beyond, right. You can get beyond that because this tool can help uh, with clinical communication far beyond the perioperative suite. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there are enough issues to solve, I think. And and a lot yeah. of them ca- yeah. can be solved with a, a bit more of a bottom-up approach, which is something that does really does, does right. not exist in healthcare today. Yeah, so let, let's talk, let's shift a little bit. Now we have a pretty decent understanding about what you all do. You know, I think you would still what you know, you're you'd still be uh, regarded as a startup where you've been a startup and now you're maturing and we all hear about startups. And and my question is pretty simple. Is it as grinding and as challenging as it seems to be from the outside? You know, when you're you've got this great idea, you've got your first few clients, you keep the agile methodology, you're iterating, you're making improvements, uh, you're seeing impact on quality uh, on, on burnout issues. Uh, but it just seems so hard. I mean, is it, is it hard building a company like this inside of healthcare? Oh yes. (laughs) In one word. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's very hard. Yes. It's a, you know, like, like every startup, of course, but I think that anyone that tries to build provider enablement tools, uh, gets an even tougher deal because it's a difficult business. And uh, you also need to change the culture in this business. You're not entering like this known category. You know, I I, I came from the cloud automation world. So this is a, a world where today you have very clear categories. Everyone knows they need to automate. Uh, but here you're entering this um, area where it's not clear to everyone that you need to change things. So there's also some category creation and and right. educating people yeah. on how digitization can help them. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. This is not you're not disrupting a current technology where you're coming in with this new idea, but everyone already has an understanding of that new idea because they're all sort of on board. You're, you're really coming into an area that doesn't have technology, you know, enablement. Uh, so it's more like if we go back to the huddle example, it's just like huddles, like people getting around uh, a circle and, and talking, but now you're digitizing that. And so you're creating this new category. So not only do you have the typical challenges of a, of a startup, but now you're also having to create a new category in a sense. And then, of course, the biggest issue of all, as you mentioned, is just the culture, right? And a lot, not everyone thinks that we need change. Uh, people are happy with the status quo and those sorts of things. What What do you think the C-suite uh, can do to enable more innovation and to happen faster? So we talked, like we just said, challenge challenges of, you know, of innovation, why things are slow to adopt in healthcare. But if you were talking with C-suite members, you know, what do you wish they knew or what could they do to enable more innovation? Right. Um, I think C-suite in, uh, you know, at providers, it has to be involved in changing the status quo as it is today, because the industry in a way is stuck in a little bit of a vicious cycle. But if you want to sell to hospitals, then the basic assumption is that it's going to take you 12 to 18 months to sell anything. And then this creates a, this, a lot of, you know, has a lot of consequences. For example, you can't sell something small, right? Because you're going to work for 18 months. So it better be really big. 
And that means you need to sell it to someone high up, right? So you need to sell it to C-suite. And yeah. this also means that you need to sell something that is interesting enough for the C-suite to be interested in what you're doing. So it, it needs to cover a lot of use cases. And that's pretty much the recipe to bad software, right? To start from the start selling right. to a lot of use cases to C-suite. And then the question is, how, how do you change that, right? How do you make the sales cycle shorter? And there are two things, I think, that kills startups in healthcare and provider enablement today. And one is the long sales cycle. And the second one is the integrations. But they're all, in a way, connected. Yeah. So I, I think that today, it needs to be a top priority yeah. in order to promote innovation. It needs to be top priority for C-suite to make the sales cycles somehow shorter and to somehow succeed initially, maybe without the integrations or to make integrations easier. This is a healthcare-wide thing that needs to happen and I really believe will happen. And there are a lot of forces that are taking it in the right direction, right? Like uh, tech consumerism and like cloud adoption and migration to the cloud. These are all things that are working in the favor of smaller companies because it makes it easier. Uh, but still, I really believe in that C-suite role right now in this process yeah. is to help disrupt uh, the industry in a way. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that's one of the purposes behind Digital Voices is try to encourage the C-suite and chief digital officers and CIOs and others to really get deeply involved to make sure this happens uh, because uh, that's when we make real change and we can impact quality of care, save people's lives, you know, reduce burnout, those sort of things. That's why, you know, we, both you and I are big, obviously proponents of that, you know, and one idea, Maya, that I, that I've used in the one, one uh, tool I used in my past was to get the C-suite involved was we created, you know, we, you know, the Ted talks and we did a branded version of Ted talks called TEDx. And, uh, and then we made the C-suite be the judges. Uh, so what, what we did in this process of who gets to speak at TEDx is uh, they we had a you know a subcategory where anyone who had a great idea uh, leveraging technology could you know present and and again the C-suite were the judges so they had to listen to twenty you know we probably narrowed it down to twenty pitches uh, and they got really excited and involved and then we funded the winner so the 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 top three went on to the TEDx stage and then the audience selected the winner and then we funded that winner and uh, actually created something that still uh, is in, was the basis for something still used today. And that was one way to draw in the C-suite to get them to be thinking about innovation because they're always like, they're thinking about, you know, other strategic imperatives that are really important to the organization. And sometimes they lose sight of the innovation. And if they, if there's not that top-down pressure, sometimes it doesn't happen for the reasons we talked about. So, um, so tell us about, so I think, again, people are really interested sort of in startups and things like that. Tell us, uh, Something about uh, the company, like what are you most proud of to date? Probably most proud of being able to help clinician users. That's number one. I mean, there are a lot of other things, right? When you manage to sell to hospitals and you know get over these sales cycles, and when you um, manage to show ROI or when there are great academic uh, research results. But most of all, if we, you know, we sometimes get emails to our support from, from a nurse, right? That would say, th you know, thank you. Thank you for giving me a tool that helps me. And it helped improve yeah. the patient experience today because everything went smoothly or it helped 
you know, it, it makes things less frustrating for me because I just get all the information that I need in one place and I have a one-stop shop and I can ask questions and it made my day better. Uh, for me, the, these are the things, and I always answer, thank you, you made, you know, you know, you made our team's day because it's true. They made our team's day. Yeah. Uh, and this really, you know, it, it keeps us going. It's, there's not, I, I cannot stress it enough how critical it yeah. is for us to get this love from users. Yeah, no, that, that is really important and re reassuring, you know, so you're um, CEO and what would you attribute your career success to? So if someone said, wow, Maya, that's amazing. You know, you've done all these things and now you're CEO and, uh, you know, what do you attribute your success to? Wow, that's a that's a hard question. I, I'm not even sure that I'm that successful, <laughs> but um you know, I, I never, I, I always try to do my best, I think. And I always try to work harder than everyone else. So um, this together with persistency or stubbornness, yeah. you know, depending on who you ask, um, I think is, uh, it, it's just uh, how I try to do it. But we'll see if it's successful. Yeah. Well, you know, you're obviously been successful to date, you know, with all your past roles and, you know, as a, you know, as a mom, as a wife, all that kind of stuff as well, everything put together. Uh, but I like that, you know, do your best, uh, work harder than others and be persistent. That, those are three really important things. So given all those roles that I just also mentioned, how do you recharge your batteries? So people always wonder, you know, you know, it sounds so stressful, so many things to do, but you know, how do you recharge your batteries? How do you stay fresh? Well, um, mainly spending time with my family and, um, well, I, you know, I do kickboxing. I, I always find something, um, something to do that yeah. takes energy out and gives you at least an hour, two hours of not having to think about anything. Yeah. Uh, so right now it's, bo it's boxing and Muay Thai. So <laughs> sounds a little bit aggressive. It is a little bit aggressive, but <laughs> maybe that's what you need when you're starting a company. Yeah, no, that, that's great. That's, it's good, you know, to have sort of that well-balanced, uh, perspective and life and, you know, keeping active in all areas, not just intellectually, but physically, spiritually, and those sort of things. So we talked about a lot. Wow. We talked about, um, how you started, uh, Chiefy, um, what it's like to be the CEO talked about what Chiefy does and the disruption in the perioperative suite. And then we talked about uh, leadership. Um, so is there anything we missed, Maya, or anything that you want to double down on as we wrap up today's edition of Digital Voices? Well, you know, I'm kind of curious to, to get your take on, you know, on what it would take to get the C-suite involved in something that starts with, uh, with quick wins. You know, if you don't want to boil the ocean and you want to start from smaller success stories, um, what's your take on that? Yeah, well... As I've alluded to, the C-suite needs to be engaged. You, you can't, you can't um, give this to a subordinate and you can't make it happen by hiring a chief innovation officer. So I know that might be heretical, but sometimes the answer the, from the C-suite is, oh, let's just hire a chief transformation officer or a chief digital officer or wow, magic happens. It, it really doesn't. Oftentimes when you add those layers, you're adding more complexity to the organization and ultimately more resistance. So I've been in organizations where there are a lot of chiefs and there wasn't much getting done because all these chiefs are fighting for the same resources and they're fighting strategically and they have different perspectives. So 
so the C-suite has to enable innovation uh, organically, and then they need to reward innovation. Uh, and I think that's when you see it happen. If everyone's okay with the status quo and the C-suite doesn't say anything, not much is going to change. But if the C-suite is expecting innovation as part of your role as a leader, uh, imagine now you apply this throughout the organization that, hey, if you're a leader, you're a director, a vice president, um, a chief of some sort, uh, part of your role is innovation, Then, and, and that's what's rewarded, then it's going to happen. So if I'm the director over perioperative, I'm going to be thinking, how can we improve things? How can we change things? And my boss is going to be the same way, incentivize the same way. And I think there's going to be less resistance as a result because that's what changes the culture as well. So a long answer, but I think that's what it takes. But I think too often people are like, let's just hire a chief innovation officer. And there's no disrespect to anyone who is one. I'm just saying that's not the ultimate answer. It's really encouraging organic growth and being engaged yourself. So I should be, you know, that should be part of my job description and my role as responsibility is to have, you know, two or three innovative items uh, that two or three new innovations that happened in my area this year. Um, otherwise it's not going to happen. I agree. So good answer. Yeah. All right. So yeah, that, that's, that's our encouragement to everyone listening is man, don't take in the theory and hear great stories like Maya's and Chiefy, but do something. And that's when change happens. So you got to take action yeah. and be persistent, be persistent, work harder and do your best. Hey, Maya, thanks for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. All right, that wraps up Digital Voices. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening. 